Well, good morning. My name is Obi. I'm the pastor to young adults and uh, do a few other things around here, including the men's ministry. And so I was just told there are like 35 tickets left out there. So uh, if you want one, get it after the service. I uh, want to give you a few people to pray for uh, this morning. So Pastor Doug, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know that. Well, you don't know this part, but I have preached for Pastor Doug something like 18 times in my years here. And to my knowledge, he has never been to a single one of my sermons. Well, he was supposed to be here this morning. God willing, he'll be here next week. But um, I was expecting him to like do the clothes and stuff. And just conveniently, his flight was canceled. So, so he's not going to be here this morning. But uh, So pray for him. They're going to be driving back today. And then also think of our students this morning. So our underground weekend is going on. And so uh, there's a whole section here. we got some of you all going to represent today, right? All right, good. A lot of our young adults, a lot of, a lot of our students are at camp and then other uh, leaders and stuff. And so uh, they're, they're, pray for them, pray that they have a powerful weekend. Well, let's go ahead and uh, open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. So the last book of the Bible, second to last chapter of the Bible. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 8. And, um, and then you also have an insert in your bulletin, or if you're online, there should be a way to access it online as well. That has a lot of the references we're going to be using. That way you don't have to do a lot of flipping in your Bible. Um, so you'll, you'll need that as well. Uh, and so we're going to be talking about perspective today. And um, as we think of perspective and just how important it is, because uh, as is often said, we can't always control our circumstances, but we can control our perspective in circumstances. And, and so you know it to be true, uh, different things that you've been through, and, uh, and there's always going to be stresses and loss in life, but, um, but perspective can oftentimes change things. So I'll just give you a, a quick example. I want you to picture in your mind, uh, like if you just had a dream car, this is, this is the car you want. Wh- whatever it is, just picture that in your mind. Now imagine that Uh, you find out in your area there's one that came uh, up for sale and since it's your dream car it's way way more expensive than than you should probably spend on a car but but this one is it's 10,000 miles and and only $10,000 like $10,000 a lot but not for your dream car right your dream car you're you're a little frivolous sometimes and so you've got like this high expectation dream car all right now all of a sudden imagine that you get another just dream car. It's it's the same car, but there's two of them in the area. And and both of these cars, same mileage, same price. It's your dream car. You're like, wow, I'm actually going to get this thing because they're they're both here in this area. I'm going to get it. And now I, I tell you this, say one was owned by one of your friends and, and you've seen them out there like taking good care of it, washing wax and like they take good care of it. But the other one, it was at a, a rental place. And I just say, which one should you buy? Same mileage, same price. You'd say, of course, the one that was your friend's. Why? Because they own it as opposed to a rental place. I'm sure you could get a great car at a rental place. But, but you know that the people who have driven that rental car probably hadn't had the same sense of ownership that, that the person who owns the car. This is kind of the thing that I say to my kids often. I have this line that I use when they leave stuff around our house. I say that our house is neither your toy box nor a trash can. Uh, so, so please put your things up, right? Well, right now in their life, they, they see our house as maybe something that they can just leave. Them. One day, they will be an owner of a house, uh, God willing. They'll be an owner of a house, and they'll have an entirely different perspective. You see, perspective changes things. Even, even something about owning a car, if it were just a rental, now you don't want to damage it too bad, but, but people don't often treat those as much as when they own a car and they, they take good care of it. Perspective changes things. But it, perspective doesn't just affect uh, little things like that. 
It affects big things. There was a time where um, it, was, it was about 18 months ago. My wife and I were sitting in our, our kitchen, and uh, I just saw on Facebook just some really terrible news, like devastating news. Uh, this person we had grown up with had lost their husband in just a really tragic, horrific way. And we're just, my wife and I are sitting there absorbing this, like, man, like, th- these are, there's some things that you hear in life that, that just kind of knock the wind out of you. You're just like, what's going on? Like, how does this happen? I mean, this can't be true. What, what's going on? About that same time, one of our kids comes down, and they're just like super happy. And they had had something in their little world that went really well, and it was going to make their day really good. And, and they come, and they say, isn't this just the best day ever? And me and my wife just looked at each other like, man, perspective changes things. Like, like the ignorance, the innocence. Uh, sometimes ignorance is bliss. Sometimes ignorance is dangerous. Right? Where, where a person stands, what a person knows, what a person experiences changes things. Our perspective changes things. If you think about this world, like it is a, a beautiful, uh, amazing, there's just so many awesome things to see. It's an amazing world created by an awesome God, and, and that's just our world, let alone all the other things that we haven't even as a human race been able to see. It's amazing, but it also is brutal sometimes. Sometimes it's stressful. Sometimes it's, it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Perspective changes things, though. So, so what could, in a life that we know we're going to face things, what could allow a person, and I'll say specifically a Christian, to be able to walk through life with their faith intact? What could allow a Christian to be able to say, yeah, bad stuff, difficult stuff, stressful stuff, anxiety-causing stuff is going to happen, but it's not going to shake my faith? Because I'm, I'm sure you've felt this or seen people who have had this happen, that sometimes there's things in our life that, God, you could touch almost anything else, but if you touch this, it'll shatter my world. Like, if you touch these things, it'll, it'll just devastate me, and I, I just would have trouble sticking to God if, if these things are knocked out of my life. And so what I want to talk about today and what I believe the book of Revelation uh, explores with us is what kind of perspective could help us to stand strong in the faith no matter what happens. So let's look Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. So it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I had, uh, I'd had this uh, instance with one of my kids. Well, I, I think sometimes we miss, we miss the big picture. I'd had this instance with one of my kids where um, they, they were upstairs crying, and, and I walk upstairs, I kind of jog upstairs like they're, they're really bawling. I'm like, hey, bud, what's wrong? What's, what's going on? And, and they were crying because, uh, kind of to my other point about our house not being a trash can uh, or a toy box, they had left something out, and our dog had come and like demolished one of their favorite toys, and they're just bawling their, their eyes out. And, and I'm like, oh, bud, but, but you know, does this kind of teach us that you can't, just leave stuff out because the dog's not going to know the difference. Is that a toy or is it a stick or is it a toy for me? The dog just doesn't know the difference. And, and so they're bawling their eyes out. And I say, so did that help you learn? And through this tears, like, I learned that twice already. <laughs> He's missing something, right? Sometimes when we, as, as if you're a believer, if we have the perspective that why do these things happen, then I have to ask, do we understand God's plan? 
Do we really understand God's plan for all things? When we're asking God, why are there bad things that happen? Why are there stresses? Why, why is there all this pressure on me? Why do I have to go through these difficult times? Why, why do I have these deadlines and, and all these different things? Sometimes I wonder, are we missing God's plan? So look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 with me again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. i got some other verses for you. Look on your, your handout or it's going to be on the screen and uh, should be online as well. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. And, and if you want a little extra homework this week, uh, I put 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3-13 through 13 as kind of a cross-reference for this. Just a really powerful passage of Scripture. Uh, but since I already had so much, I had to have a handout. I thought maybe I'd had enough uh, passages. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Look at it with me. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. And that disclosed can mean either burned up or it can mean like revealed, like everything's burned up and wiped away and, and therefore vulnerable. But based on his promise, we will wait for new heavens and a new earth. So you hear that the same thing as Revelation 21 where righteousness dwells. So the first thing that God's teaching us here is that He does have a plan for us, but it's not in this earth. Like, all the things that we, we think of, if, if you spend all your time working for a career, working for a, a marriage, working for building your kids up, right? And those are good things. I'm not saying that. The Bible actually talks uh, about all of those types of things and more, that it's good to, to invest in those things. And, but they can't be what you stand on for your foundation. And why? Because as Revelation 21.1 tells us, or, or 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 tells us, it's all going to be burned up. Like, like everything that you've ever like, invested in and, and cultivated and, and any of that, even if you're successful, all your plans, every plan that you ever have, even if you're successful in everything you ever do, one day it's all going to be dissolved. Like not just your stuff, the very earth we stand on, the thing we drive, the thing we put seed into the ground and it brings up food, that thing is going to be burned up, but not just that thing, the heavens. Like everything, everything we see and things beyond that we can't even see, all of that is going to be burned up. And we sit there sometimes saying, man, my foundation is this temporary thing. Whatever it is, the, the, this thing that uh, I, I've worked so hard on and this is what I need to, to feel fulfilled and this is what I need to, to be happy and satisfied and, and I work so hard at this thing. And, and we just think, man, even if you live a really long life and even if you're here uh, for the day of the Lord, like if you die before God comes back, obviously a different story, but what if you live until God comes back? Then everything that you had previously put your identity in is going to be burned up. Everything, but that's not it. Look at First Peter, so um, the book before Second Peter on your paper. First Peter chapter 1, verse 24, he says, For all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. So that last verse, verse 25, is telling us what we should focus on. The word of the Lord endures forever and the gospel that was proclaimed to you. That's God's things are what last. But, but so often in verse 24, that's what we put our stock in. The things that just regular life is grass. Just the regular stuff. The normal things, the, the everyday, that's grass. The grass is going to wither and fade away. But the glory, the, the big things, the good things, the thing that's like, if I work really hard, I will achieve this. 
the most successful moment, the happiest moment, the greatest achievement that you could think of, the, the moment you see like kid, your kids grew up and married someone great and they're happy and now you have grandkids and, and all those things. The glory of man is like the flower of grass. Now, now, unless your yard's like mine and you have some weed flowers that they won't die, but, but other than that, uh, flowers, they die quicker than the grass, right? So the best things, the most spectacular things that you're ever going to do in your life is like the flower of grass that withers and fades away. And we put our stock in all these things, all these, these moments or these, these achievements, we put all of our stock in that and we say, okay, we're good if we, we achieve these. I'll be happy if I achieve these. Or I'm good unless God comes after this. And if God comes after this, then, then what would I do with my faith? And I want you to think for a second, what are some things that, that you have in your life that you're like, if God came after that, if God allowed that to leave uh, or to be taken away, if I suffered loss in that category, my faith would be shaken. I'm telling you, I've talked to a lot of people who have been angry at God because God allowed something to be taken from their life and what they have is a wrong perception. We cannot hold on to the things of this world. And the more you try, the more you find satisfaction in those things, the more disappointed and hurt you're going to be because you're trying to hold on to something that is a vapor. You're trying to hold on to something that is intended like God's plan, His design is for it to fade away. I think of sometimes, I don't know if you ever do this, maybe I'm odd, but I've been sitting at my table before and I just thought, you know what's funny? If we treat this table well, it will live or be on earth longer than me. Like, I mean, think about that. Th this thing that I'm sitting at is going to have a longer usefulness here on this world than I'm going to have. But even it's going to be burned up. We have to have that perspective. If you're a believer here today, sometimes we can know that, but do we, do we get that? That The first perspective, if you're taking notes, is that we cannot hold on to this world. We often try. And do you realize the heartache that that causes you? And I'm, again, I'm not saying don't care. I, uh, I care about my kids. Before, before I was a, a dad, I, you, know, you can't really picture this, that how much more... Um, you care about them than you could really care about anything else on earth. Uh, I, I have this, uh, I have a couple fears. I'm sure you all have fears. So there are people that go to this church that know exactly how I sound when I scream when I see a snake. There's a time where I was helping someone do some yard work and we like picked up this huge concrete block and there were three of us because it was super heavy. And uh, so I'm lifting this up and there's three snakes right there and I just dropped it. I didn't care about their backs. I'm like, there's snakes right there. And so I just dropped this thing and yeah, I screamed like a little girl. I, did. I thought that's what I was scared of. I'm telling you as a father, nothing scares me more than thinking about my kids and something happening to them. Of course, the most important thing would be their salvation. But I, I'm in the flesh too. I, I care about their life. But I'm telling you, we live in a world that sometimes things happen to kids. Now, we can say, why God? And of course, there's some answers why. It's a fallen world, etc. We're going to deal with some of that in a bit. But, but we live in a world where things happen to kids. And God's still good. I don't know if you know that. God is still good. But his overall plan is not for us to be here. So we have uh, on your sheet, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 15 through 16. Look at that with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 15 says, So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself that this also is futile. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise. Since in the days to come, both will be forgotten. How is it? 
that the wise person dies just like the fool. You see, sometimes we think that because I'm a Christian, I won't suffer the same difficulties that other people suffer. I won't have trials and tragedies. and It's just not. God may bless some people that they just happen to have a great life. Great. But that's not guaranteed in the Bible. We hear, hear Solomon. Solomon has all these great things happening. He has the wisdom. I'm cutting out. He has all the wisdom. He has all the money. He had way too many wives, right? Like uh, 699 too many, right? He has all sorts of things. And yet he's depressed because he realizes it's temporary. He realizes that the same thing happens to the wise as happens to the fool. He says, here I am all elevated high, lifted up, and I'm going to die just like the foolish person. He realized you can't hold on to it. That his life is grass. The glory of his life like the flower of grass. It's going to wither and fade away. And I'm talking to you people, you Christians who, who are here today, and, and you, know, you know that this is God's plan, but we don't know that this is God's plan. Like We, we know intellectually, but, but we, don't, we don't receive it like that. We think, yeah, I believe in God until He touches a certain part of my life. And, and then if he, if he comes at that or if He allows something to happen to that, my faith is going to be shaken. I'm going to be angry at the very God who created me, the very God who died to save me, the very God who sustains me. I'm going to be mad at Him. And, and we won't talk anymore. I'm angry at God. And God's saying, don't you realize you have the wrong perspective. You're never supposed to hold on to this. Care about people. Work hard. The Bible says all sorts of things about those things. But don't let them be your foundation for no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is nothing else that your life is supposed to stand upon. If your faith is dependent on anything else to make you happy and stand strong, you will crumble. And he's saying Christians realize this. His plan all along is to wipe away everything you know. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 again. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So you may say, okay, I hear you. You can't hold on to this world. That's the first perspective. But then why doesn't God give us anything to like, help us get through this? right? Now, of course, I could say uh, His Son. He gave you that. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He gave you His Word. And so on and so on and so on. He gave you community. Um, he, he's given us stuff. But I'm going to talk about something potentially even more uh, specific that, that we fail to recognize sometimes. So... Um, when I was about six years old, I remember a time where I don't know why I hated shots so bad. Maybe, I'm, maybe I am just a coward. I didn't like spiders, snakes, or shots, but those are pretty common. But I remember I was six years old, and I was just terrified of shots. I mean, just terrified. And so there's this time where I went to uh, the doctor. I don't remember why, but I had to get a shot, and I was just flipping out. Like, I mean, I was a holy nightmare. I was just on a rage. They were not going to give me a shot. And so they had to keep calling in workers to try to restrain me because, you know, if you give someone a shot and they're flailing about, it is kind of dangerous. And so I'm there, like, flailing about, and, and they call in, like, six doctors and nurses trying to hold me, and I just still wasn't, st I was wiggly and getting out of it pretty good. And so I remember my dad, like, picked me up and, like, set me against the wall. I was like, Obi, you have to stop. Now, my dad was a smart man, but uh, my wife does something smarter than this. She bribes our kids when it comes to shots. So when our kids, when they have to go get a shot, there's apparently some store that you could go into, and it's just a toy store, and you could spend, like, if you give your kid five bucks, they'd go in and get several toys for just five bucks. I think it's the greatest thing in the world, and to my kids listening today, it is the greatest thing, and, and keep accepting that bribe. But, um, but so 
we'll go in and we'll just say, hey, if you're brave, if you don't give us a lot of trouble, we'll give you five bucks, go buy a bunch of toys. And so that works, right? You just give to it. Now, I won't equate what God does with us with bribery, but what I am saying is we make a promise to our kid and it helps them get through it. We make a promise to our kids and it helps them get through it. Look what the next verses say. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. It says, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Now hear this next part. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Death, grief, crying, and pain. You see, sometimes we try to hold on to this world, and what God is saying is that the next world is better. Like He has promises out there that, that He wants you to know that the next world is so much better. These things, He says, death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more. Sometimes we want to hold on to things and we just say, God, make this world perfect. And he says, there's sin in this world. This world's never going to be perfect until I burn it up, until it dissolves and I create something new. And the thing that I create new, all that will be gone. All the things that you hate, all the things that we get mad at God for, God, why'd you let this happen? Or God, why is there so much pressure on me? God, I have to make this deadline and can't I catch a break? And, and, and all these things, God, and God's saying, yeah, there's sin in this world. you got to have a different perspective. you got to have the perspective that you don't want to hold on to this world if you have Jesus. You don't want to hold on to this world if you have Jesus. I've got a few verses that I'm going to share with you. So, in First uh, Peter, it's on your sheet. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of His great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. That's what we should have because the promises of God. We should have hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you hear the promises God has for you? All the things that, that we try to hold on to in this world, God's saying, you have a new thing coming to you, something that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This inheritance that is prepared before you beforehand, God has for you, and he's saying, you, you wonder what I give to you. God, how can I get through this, God? How can I, how can I uh, make it through this difficult time? Or how can I take in all this pressure and, and the anxiety that, that the world's given to me? He says, I have something coming for you. He has a promise that his stuff is better. That all the things that we get mad at him for, that God, you didn't work this out. He says, I know, but I am. I am working it out. I'm working it for newness, for goodness for you. And then look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 on your paper. Look at verse 20. It says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. So here's what I want you to hear is that not only will the heavens be dissolved, and then we heard in Ecclesiastes that we ourselves die, 
Well, here we see in these promises that the heavens and earth will be made new, and then we also see that we'll be given a glorified body. You see, what we have sometimes is a difficulty understanding that we shouldn't want to be here because this was never supposed to be our home. Now, I'm not saying don't enjoy life. God created all things and said it was good, and then sin came in and marred a lot of it, but there's still a lot of beauty. There's still a lot of joy. Love your kids. Work hard. It is good, First Thessalonians says, for a person to work hard with their hands and to lead a quiet life. Those things are good good, but they're not where our satisfaction and our happiness comes from. They can't be, because we'll always be disappointed. See, God says, I am going to wipe away all the things, all the hurts. He says, I know it. I know you have tears. He says that right there in verse 4 in Revelation 21. I know you have tears. There's death. There's grief. There's crying. There's pain. But I have something new coming that is better. So if perspective one is that we can't hold on to this world because it's never, never been God's plan for us to, to stay here since the, the fall of Adam and Eve. It's never been His plan for us to stay here. But the second perspective is this, that we shouldn't want to hold on to this world if we have Jesus. And so I want you to think for yourself for a second. If, if you've experienced loss, and uh, I've recently experienced a great loss in my life, and, and I try to equate loss like this, um, and it, it's something that I, you know, I think a lot of times we think of loss where um, it's just all the time pain, and, and that's true too, um, th- that there's a lot of pain that comes with it, but loss in my estimation is this, if you think of uh, your hands, and if all of a sudden you just lost one of your hands, then when it kind of healed back up, uh, you're missing all your fingers and things, you still know how to grab hold of things. You still know how to point and give a thumbs up. Like, you still know how to use your hand, but you can't now. Right? You still know how to call someone on the phone, but once you lost them, they're gone. You just can't. There there is an actual loss in your life. You're actually missing something. And and so a lot of times we equate uh, the, the season of mourning with loss that oh, we're sad that they suffered and things like that. And I'm telling you, if if they're a believer, we need to have this perspective that they're already with God. They're experiencing His promises. I feel bad for us because we don't have them with us, but I don't feel bad for them anymore. They suffer no more. So if you've been hurting because you've lost a loved one, then man, I I feel you. I I do. It, It hurts. Even Jesus wept. You know that? John 11, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Do you know the context of that verse? He's about to call Lazarus from the grave. He's about to call him out. He's about to speak. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus is going to come forth after being dead for days. It's the same passage where he says, I am the resurrection of life. He who were dead, or he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That same passage, Jesus wept, because he's not saying don't be emotional. I'm not saying don't care about things. I'm not saying don't love things. Of course, He's the God of love. He wants you to love. God is love. 1 John, the same guy who wrote this book, God is love. God wants you to love, but He wants you to have the right perspective that this is not your home, that we have a promise, an inheritance that is undefiled and unfading, imperishable, that is waiting for us, that is kept by the power of God. That's the perspective that we can't hold on to this world and that we shouldn't want to if we have Jesus. And when I say that, I don't mean you don't care about things in this world and people in this world. Love it. But love it with the proper perspective that you are God's. And so if you have stresses at work, 
at school. If things are weighing in on you and, and you have anxiety, uh, the more marital, premarital counseling I do, the more I'm convinced that just anxiety is such a causer of, of friction and tension because as we feel pressure from the outside, sometimes we take it out on the people who we're closest to and, and, and it causes all sorts of unkindness and things like that. And so, you know, if you're feeling those kind of frictions, then, then I want to, I'm going to give you some advice that, that I've given to several people lately, is I want you to ask where, wherever you are, if it's at a work or school or um, wherever, where you're feeling that anxiety, just say for a second, why am I here? Like right here, wherever, wherever you're feeling that anxiety, why am I here? Now, if you work at, we'll just use a, a restaurant for an easy example. Let's say you worked at Subway. You say, well, I'm here to make sandwiches, right? No, no, no. Why does God have you here? Now, he wants you to do a good job. If your job is to make sandwiches, go make sandwiches. But why does God have you here? He does not have you on earth just to do whatever it is your job is. He wants Christians to be hard workers. He wants us to be ethical and, and uh, the workers worthy of their wages. He wants us to do that. But why does God have you wherever you are, wherever you're sitting? It is not just to accomplish things and to succeed and look good and, and um, make money and all those. Again, do those things. That's fine. But why does God have you there? It is because the God of the universe has promises to people about his eternity. He has promises to people that one day every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more death. There will be no more grief, no more crying, and no more pain to people who know Jesus. When you feel the anxiety pressing in on you, the stress pressing in on you, remember why you're there. It helps you transcend the moment to say, I'm here for God. I'm here to live for Him. I'm here to be a light in a dark world. I'm here to share the news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others so that they too can come to know the perspective and the peace that I have, the peace that passes all understanding, the perspective that lets me see that even when the worst things happen, I have a foundation that is made of rock, not a castle made of sand. A perspective that can give me peace in all the storms of life. I'm here to tell people that. And so my job is secondary. My school is secondary. I'm going to work hard at those. God is primary. And if I am here for Him, then no matter what else is going on, I can still be here for Him. So if you hear all these uh, points, you may think, well, then why wait? In fact, I put on your sheet there, if you notice Revelation 22, it's just one chapter over, but I put it on your sheet. Look at Revelation 22 on the, the handout. It says, verse 17, both the Spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Now, that may be your cry. You may be like, all right, God, what are we waiting for? I can't hold on to this world. I don't want to hold on to this world if, if I have Jesus because you give me all these awesome promises. And, and so, God, let's, let's wrap this thing up. Like, let's, let's go. Let's do this. Go ahead and usher in your kingdom and let's get rid of this death thing and the pain thing. And I actually had a friend once when I was in the Air Force and uh, we we're, we we're uh, in an area that's really secluded and I was uh, sharing the gospel with him. And uh, he was a kid who had, uh, had just really bad upbringing. He had Christian parents that... Um, they were more about the law than the spirit of the law, right? And, and to any Christian parent, God wants purity in our lives, but God would rather see transformed lives who love people and, and are wanting to tout His name, not, not to just say, obey these rules. 
Okay, be pure, obey rules. That's a good thing. But not just because they're rules, but because we love God. Let God see, let your kids see that God has transformed you. Let, let your kids see a, a different type of Christianity that, that hearts that have experienced transformation that, that makes them more loving. And yes, pure, but, but not pure without the loving. Both. So anyway, I'm talking to this, this kid, and uh, he's just angry with God. And because of kind of how his parents had raised him up, just, just so disciplined and so restrictive, and, and, uh, and it was a difficult time for him. So he, he was angry with God and uh, did not believe in God anymore. And he said this statement, and he goes, if God exists, why doesn't he just rip open the sky? Like, just rip it open. Just, just reveal yourself to everybody. And so this is what I said back to him. I said, he will one day. He, he's going to. At, at one point in time, in the future of humanity, there's going to be a trumpet that sounds. And the dead in Christ will rise, and, and the Son of Man will come on the clouds. There's going to be a moment where God does open the sky, and He is going to reveal Himself. But you, friend, are not ready. You don't want Him to come right now, because if He comes right now, you will have to bow your knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You'll have to do that, but you won't want to do that, because you hadn't done it in this life. And so you're not ready for Him to come back because your name's not written in the book of life. And so I want to read a few more verses. Look at Revelation chapter 21 in your Bible. Verse 5. Revelation 21, verse 5. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life the one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son but the cowards faithless detestable murderers sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death now I'm going to start in verse 8 here because verse 8 makes Christians uncomfortable a lot Right? I don't know if you see yourself on that list at all, that list of sins. I already told you, I'm, on, I'm the coward, right? I don't like shots. Air Force tried to cure me of that, but I still don't like them. And, uh, and spiders and snakes, man, if you try to put a snake near me, that's a reason to fight. The cowards, that's on there. Now, there's other ones on there where we're like, okay, we're good Baptists. We know which other one should be on there. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Well, I'm just telling you, there's a lot of lists in the Bible of sin. You'll find yourself on one of those things. And so the question is, does this mean we don't inherit eternal life? Right? If I'm identified there, now that makes Baptists uncomfortable too, right? Because then it sounds like kind of work. In fact, look at verse 7. The one who conquers will inherit these things. Ooh, i got to conquer now, right? This sounds like work. If you are a good Baptist, which I like to think of myself as one, then works-based faith should make us nervous because we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast, right? We know that verse. And so what does this mean that cowards and faithless, detestable murderers, uh, sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, those ones won't inherit the world. You hear that? Whoever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. The certainty of God's testimony, who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you hear who conquers? The one who conquers is the one who has Jesus. It is not of you. It is of Christ. And so you may still say, yeah, but I still see 
myself on this list. Me too. I already told you I'm a coward, right? I still feel like I'm on this list. So the question is, is that how God sees me? And the answer is no. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 on your paper. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. He says, verse 9, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Now if I stop there, again, we're still nervous because it feels like an action-based thing. It feels like if I do certain things or behave a certain way that I'm kept from the kingdom of God and I have fire in my future. Look at verse 11. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see what we do sometimes is we confuse action with identity. Christians mess up still. Christians, if you're a coward beforehand, you're still going to have that cowardice bone probably afterward. Now God calls us to more. He doesn't call us to live how our actions have been before Him, but He knows that we're still in this flesh. So what He does, though, is He changes our identity through Christ. Where before He saw you through your actions, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it says you are washed, justified, and sanctified. Washed by the blood of the Lamb. Washed by the Holy Spirit. Sanctified means declared holy. Justified means declared not guilty. That is how God sees you now. So when we get to Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, and He has a whole list of sins, He's saying the people who I still see like this, the ones who haven't conquered the world, are the ones who haven't accepted my son. And one chapter before this is the great white throne of judgment where he judges everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. And the only way to have your name in the Lamb's book of life is to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so we may say, I can't hold on to this world. We may say, I don't want to hold on to this world if I don't have Jesus. But the final perspective is, not everyone has Jesus. But they can. Look at verse 6. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. I want you to hear that if you're sitting here today. God offers that to you. He offers you salvation through His Son. Because what we've been covering, there's a divide between Revelation chapter 20 and Revelation chapter 21. There's a, there's a great moment in, in the future of humanity that is going to happen. There's going to be a moment where some people are going to have the worst day of all days. Such a bad day, it's called the day of the Lord. And some people are going to have the greatest day of all days. Such a great day, it's called the day of the Lord. There's going to be a moment here where our perspective matters. Sometimes ignorance is bliss, but I'm telling you, in this instance, it isn't it. In this instance, our perspective makes all the difference in the world. I either have Jesus or I don't. And if I don't have Jesus, then eternal destruction. But if I have Jesus, eternal life with my King and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, I have an amazing future in store if I have Jesus. And there's someone here today who doesn't have Jesus and you're not ready. Like my friend who says, if God just split the sky, I would surrender. And God's saying, you're not ready until you have my Son. Until you have Jesus, you're not ready. Your perspective is this world is your heaven. This is all you have to look forward to. Yeah, there's some awesome things here and, and you could have a wonderful life, but even if you have the longest life ever, even Methuselah died, right? The, even if you have the greatest life ever, it's all going to be burned up. 
because only the word of the Lord endures forever and his promises to you. And his promise to you is that if you trust his son, you inherit eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. And um, I pray right now, I pray for Christians like myself that sometimes we get so wrapped up in the earthly things that we start to make them our foundation. And I pray that the Christians here have heard today that that is sifting sand. That that is a a place to stand that is not firm. Because it's not you. It's temporary. It's fleeting. It's it's grass. It's vapor. It's the flower of grass. But God, so often we are guilty and we get down and discouraged and frustrated and stressed because we just want a happy life. And God, I pray people are happy. I do hope that. But I know this world is hard, too. And if we've made this world our God, if we've made this world our foundation, there's nothing but heartache in store. So I pray that we Christians can set our hearts on you, to fix our minds on you. I pray that we Christians would have the perspective that you have all things under control and you have an eternity set up for us. But then, God, there's... There's someone sitting here today, and they don't know you, and they're not ready. All the things we talked about, all these promises aren't theirs yet, but they can be. Because you say you give the water of life freely, which is your son. You offer your son for all. You say that all are sinners falling short of the glory of God, and that the, the wages of the earnings of sin is death, but your gift The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that if we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And I pray that today, God, someone would seek to make that decision. There will be a deacon of the week up front. I'll be in the back with other pastors and counselors that we'd love to share with someone how to be saved. And so I pray that they wouldn't leave today until they're ready for the great day of the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.